Kia ora, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kokoroi Hawkins, Tokoinwa. Coming up. Everybody participating and giving and caring in a very community, collegiate fashion. I think it's terrific. Countries pledge more than 16 billion US dollars to protect oceans. How can you write good regulations for an environment that you don't understand? So the process needs to be paused. Renewed support in the Pacific for a moratorium on deep sea mining. Uh, it says that it's a privately owned island, so I think that one of these uh, individuals uh, in the, he owns the island. And we hear about a company looking to turn a Vanuatu island into a cryptocurrency paradise. More than 16 billion US dollars has been pledged by countries at the Ao Ocean Conference in Palau to help shore up conservation and sustainable fishing. Over 500 delegates from more than 18 nations attended the two-day conference in Palau. RNZ Pacific's Moira Tulepa-Taylor was at the conference and filed this report. Palau and the United States co-hosted the conference, which is seen as a key global event for countries to commit to concrete and significant actions to protect the ocean. The U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, John Kerry, says the money raised will go towards the six areas of the conference, confronting the ocean climate crisis, creating sustainable blue economies, sustainable fisheries, marine protected areas for communities, communities, ecosystems and marine pollution to achieve a safe, just and secure ocean. Everybody participating and giving and caring in a very community, collegiate fashion. I think it's terrific. I wish so many more people could see and feel the texture of this because it was really impressive. This is the seventh year of the conference and the first time it's been held in the Pacific region. John Kerry says it's been great working with the government of Palau and in particular its president, Surangal Whips Jr. President Whips and I have worked hard at this in the last couple of years. And uh, I admire the way he's approached it. I admire his uh, hard work to make it happen. And, uh, you know, we go on from here. We just build, keep building. Since 2014, the Our Ocean Conference has raised more than 100 billion US dollars from governments as well as stakeholders, businesses and non-government organisations. The New Zealand government is pledging over 6 million US dollars over the next four years. Three million of that will fund climate change research by the University of the South Pacific and the University of Canterbury. Their job will be to come up with sound data on the many climate challenges facing the Pacific. The rest of the money, 3.4 million, will go to the Pacific Islands Forum Fisheries Agency, or FFA, based in Solomon Islands. It was set up by the Pacific Islands Forum to help Pacific nations and territories sustainably manage their fishery resources within their 200-mile exclusive economic zones. New Zealand's Minister for Pacific Peoples, Albizzo William Seal, says this work is vital. We're wanting to support them being able to access the other markets, particularly the European Union. And secondly, it's about helping to support the small fisheries. Um, How do we get them to better make good investment decisions? And the third part is really a leadership program for women. 
getting more women into fishery jobs and leadership roles is also a focus for the Director General of the FFA, Dr Manumatavai Tupo Rusin. For example, making sure that um, women in the tuna fishery sector that were able to lift uh, their, their profile, put them into leadership, more leadership positions, um, that were able to help crew on fishing vessels to improve their conditions, that were able to get businesses accessing more markets. So it is fundamental. The next Our Ocean Conference will be in Panama in 2023. RNZ Pacific's manager Moira Tulefa-Taylor covered the conference in Palau her trip was made possible by the U.S. State Department. Sticking with the subject of oceans, last week also saw a groundswell of support for a moratorium on deep-sea mining. A new regional political group against the future industry was established and Tuvalu also rescinded its support for the activity, including earlier stated intentions to fund a company venturing into the sector. Joining me from the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition is Phil McCabe, Pacific Liaison, and Duncan Curry, the Coalition's International Legal Advisor. Bula, and welcome back on Pacific Wave. Starting with you, Phil, what are your thoughts on this spike in interest on the issue around the region? Yeah, it certainly is, Korui. Um, you know, it's, it really is a surge of pushback against, you know, against enabling the, 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 the strip mining of massive areas of the deep Pacific Ocean. Um, you know, I think where we where we think this natural momentum is is leading and, and needs to lead us toward this growing number of concerned decision makers and leaders across the region to come together and, and stand together for a moratorium or a pause on 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 seabed mining at the International Seabed Authority. That's you know that's where this needs to lead, and, and I think it is um, naturally going to go that way. Um, you know, during during last week's Palau uh, Our Ocean Conference, you know, the, of course the, the the launch of the Pacific Parliamentarians Alliance on Deep Sea Mining. That's a, a good number of parliamentarians across ten jurisdictions across the, across the region, including Aotearoa in New Zealand. Um, you know, the the, the the alliance is chaired by Vanuatu's uh, leader of the opposition, Ralph Regan Vanu, and notably the, the current Samoan minister. Uh, for natural resources and environment and environment is there as well and and you know it'll be interesting to see how that plays into the national position uh, in Samoa yeah it's a, it's a it's definitely a positive period of time for the ocean there's also been some action actually taken in terms of a, a country in particular that supported uh the push for deep sea mining that which has now withdrawn its support yeah the um that was very significant, actually, Karoi, that Tuvalu announced last week, just before Easter, the foreign minister announced that Tuvalu was going to rescind or cancel all of its deep-sea mining contracts. And that's very significant because Tuvalu, up until uh, fairly recently, a few months ago, um, wasn't known in the deep-sea mining world, if you like. But then there was an announcement that they were going to be sponsoring a company um, to be called, I think, rather Orwellian name, the um, Circular Metals Limited. And there are some very hard questions asked in the International Seabed Authority Council meeting uh, just recently in March about that, um, because um, there's written nothing known, there's known about this company, there's no transparency, nothing on the website, um, and really nothing in the company's register. So when 
very quickly after the meeting and Tixi Conservation Coalition had raised this issue and there'd been quite a vigorous debate about it. So when uh, Tavaru came in and, and announced that they were going to act, not, not just come out against seabed mining, but actually rescind or, or cancel the sponsored um, contracts, then that was really quite significant. And, and uh, along that same vein, there were some questions put to Minister Mahuta. Do you want to go through that and... Yeah, yeah, briefly. I mean, the, the, the key thing was that, you know, New Zealand, the current position and approach at the International Seabed Authority is to effectively support the writing of the laws, which is effectively laying down the tracks uh, for a train that's going to, that's leading to a cliff, a cliff top, you know, and that's, that's, that's not a good approach. And the minister and the ministry um, are aware of the problems. They're aware that there's not enough information. They're aware that severe damage can be done, yet they're not taking a bold enough approach or, or an appropriate approach, in our view, of, of pausing it. Looking at this, the, the bigger picture now, we've got all, all of these, these voices coming out and, and, and speaking life to, to what a terrible idea it is to mine the seafloor and and what the best thing that we can do for the ocean being to to put a moratorium or a ban on on seabed mining in in actuality with the isa as you say continuing to look at these ground rules what what needs to happen here uh duncan to actually affect the change that that is being called for there are a few things that need to happen firstly i think and most importantly, states states need to acknowledge that there must be a moratorium put into place and that the regulations must not be put into place, as, as Phil said. It's um, absolutely critical because once the regulations are in place, that's a green light to seabed mining and so like that will stay green. It will not be possible in any realistic way to stop seabed mining once that genie is out of the bottle. And then um, pulling back from that, the, what we're looking forward to is to these key countries that are concerned, and we hope New Zealand will be one of them, will be to join a moratorium on seabed mining and just announce that um, you know, this is what they believe should happen. There are some real systemic problems and that this is long overdue, but it really is, unfortunately, time is of the essence because this decision is going to be made in July of next year, and that only means there'll be uh, two or perhaps three meetings before then. Um, one meeting is coming up at the end of July, and that'll be a three-week meeting. And it's really important that states take stock of what's happening and just say, call an end to the mad rush to adopt seabed mining regulations. Final thoughts wrapping up now, Phil. Yeah, yeah I just think yeah, the, the idea at, in regards to the ISA and the process of writing regulations, how can you... Uh, write good regulations for an environment that you don't understand. So they need the, the the process needs to be paused. We need to do the science, and and it's been expressed by many experts that the science required will take decades. And so you know the appropriate thing to do is is to stop, rethink this, spend some time researching and and looking at the at the area at, at the deep ocean, and pause this process. This does really highlight the pressing need for marine scientific research to go on. And it's, it's a myth that we need deep sea mining to carry out the research. There are a lot of research institutions around the world that, that have carried out, are carrying out, and will be carrying out scientific research into the deep sea in all its aspects, including its 
um, what the deep sea contributes in, in terms of carbon sequestration, in terms of, of food, in terms of what, what are known as marine genetic resources or possible you know, drugs, pharmaceutical purposes that can be used. And this is the time to ramp up that research. And I think that's really what I think, think a lot of the Pacific Island countries that are looking at this issue are coming to realize is that you know, we need to move away from this extractivist mentality and move towards a more sustainable use of the ocean, such as, again, for, for marine genetic resources and so on. And, and we need a lot more research, as Phil said, and this is one way to do it. And, and just, just quickly to follow up on that, in, in, in Mr. Mahuta's answers uh, in, in Parliament last week, she more than once sort of pointed to, to the scientific research that New Zealand is supporting in the Pacific. Uh, we're not sure what that is or, or, or where it's going, but that's a positive sign and, and you know, they, they need to you know, really emphasise that and prioritise that over supporting this activity. And, and, and decoupling that research from deep sea mining and, and do scientific research for, the, for scientific research's sake, for our knowledge. These days, it seems much of the Pacific appears to be embracing cryptocurrency with the likes of the Marshall Islands, Tonga and Tuvalu leading the charge. But is the region well enough informed to get involved, or is there a need for specialist advice to individual nations? In the most recent development, an island in Vanuatu is said to be undergoing a name change, with the digital company settling in to establish what has been called a cryptocurrency paradise there. The Prime Minister of Vanuatu, Bob Lofman, has endorsed the idea, but Pacific freelance journalist Dionysia Taburengudi told Don Wiseman little is known about how it will operate. The news came out on Google, one of those Google alerts, that they had uh, approved the project called Satoshi Island, which is a cryptocurrency-related project. Uh, I think it's run by a group of people who want to turn the island into a cryptocurrency island. Everything will be done through cryptocurrency, you know, no fiat currency, just cryptocurrency. This island that they've got is Lataro, which is off Santo, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. And they're going to call it Satoshi. Satoshi. Island, yes. Yeah. Who owned this island? Uh, it says that it's a privately owned island. So I think there's one of these uh, individuals, uh, I think they, he owns the island. It's owned by one of the individuals that's running this uh, project. It says so on their website that it's uh, they already own the island. All right. Well, the Prime Minister thinks that there's going to be a windfall for Vanuatu. Is there? It did say that, but there's no explanation as to how they will benefit from the project. I think uh, what he was referring to in the letter is that because of COVID, uh, their tourism has been uh, affected. So they're looking at diversifying the economy to attract other projects that could probably not, not tourism related, but can earn uh, income as well. So I think he's looking at this project as uh, one of those replacements to stand in for tourism. Yeah. They want to diversify the economy, attract foreign investment. So I think this is one of the projects that he's looking at that would do that. Yes, although, of course, there's, <laughs> there's actually not going to be any foreign investment. I mean, not what sure. are they doing? I don't really know what, uh, because I've never, I haven't asked them. You know, just looking at it from the cryptocurrency point of view is that uh, people are going to come in and do transactions through cryptocurrency and uh, the island is going to be a cryptocurrency-friendly island. So I'm not very sure exactly how Vanuatu will get a cut of that cryptocurrency transaction or I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to work. 
But if all the transactions are digital, it's not going to involve any particular country, is it? No, because I think, you know, the experts say it's just going to be transaction done digitally without going through the central bank system that usually, like right now, things have to go through central banks. And all that. It's decentralized finances, finances where cryptocurrency comes in. It's that, you know, I can send it to you without having to go through the a central bank system, bypassing foreign exchange and all that. And there are other parts of the Pacific, quite a number in fact, where they're also trying to embrace cryptocurrency, Palau, Tuvalu and Fiji. There are no obvious benefits for any of those places, are there? It depends on how on what project we are talking about, eh? because I think the projects are not uniform all throughout the island. You know, there are some that are... Like the one in Fiji is the one is similar to the one in Vanuatu, where they come in with an idea to turn an island into a crypto paradise or something kind of concept like that. But yeah, that's not the same as the one going on in Palau. Okay, what's you happening know, there? Palau is wanting to attract people to come and do uh, cryptocurrency projects there. Uh, in order to come there, you have to pay a fee for a residency for establishing a, business, a crypto business there and uh, operating from there. Uh, that's slightly different from what's going on in Vanuatu. The one in Tuvalu is completely different. The whole island is uh, going to turn into a digitally based economy where the transaction is going to be done through digital system. It's digital ledger, I think they call it, for the whole of Tuvalu. It's not the same as the one in Vanuatu. Then there's one in Marshall Island, which is like completely different. These things are happening at various stages. I think it's uh, all different variation of a theme or something like that. I think that's what we can call it. It's based on blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, but it's not the same thing. Well, you have suggested that there's perhaps not that much knowledge about how it all happens and how it works, and that an organisation like the Pacific Islands Forum needs to develop some sort of expertise and inform people about what is and isn't worthwhile pursuing. Right. That's just not my own view. It's a view that's shared by uh, people that I've spoken to, in that these islands are taking up uh, projects that's related to cryptocurrency, but who is advising them on what they're getting into? I mean, that's, I think, that's a basic question. What exactly do they know about what they're getting themselves into? Because I think the central banks in some of these countries are doing their own own investigation into how they can adopt digital currencies, because I think that's a trend everywhere, where the central banks are trying to turn their own national currency into a digital form. I think that's at one level that's going on. And then you have these uh, other countries that are exploring their own these things like crypto islands and crypto uh, digital residency. And we don't really know where they're getting the ideas from or who's telling them to get into these projects. But I mean, on the other hand, it's it's their decision. I think the risks are the thing that's concerning. Is that when they get themselves into this, are they do they know what they're getting themselves into? I guess if they're not spending money. Who is supposed to be advising or whether they are supposed to be advised? But uh, there is nowhere that we can see that uh, somewhere they can turn to and say, you know, can we do this? If we do this, what are the risks and what are the benefits? We've had plenty of examples in the Pacific of governments even falling for crazy schemes, some Ponzi schemes and whatever. And there's that danger, isn't there, that they get in too deep with a lack of knowledge? Yes, there's that risk. But I'm not sure whether that's something that we can tell them to go and get advice or because they have their own people advise them. Even then, we don't know, like this Satoshi Island, I'm 
you know, on the outside, we don't know what the benefits are. And, and if Vanuatu knows what the benefits are, they're not saying it. So I don't really know if it's something they should get into or on their own or if they should ask someone. Okay. I think that's a concern that's there. Is there a place where they can get uh, some kind of information from to inform them if they want to choose to go down that road? What are the risks and what are the benefits? That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Arirang.